Welcome everyone to Dr. John Bedker's Leadership Podcast, the podcast focused on leadership. The episode will begin shortly. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome everyone. So glad you tuned in to the Dr. John Bedker Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, John Bedker. Today we're going to talk about Well, an article about business and economy, but we're going to talk about, I think, something much more, and that is the role of leaders in not only business and economy, but in this practice of art, which is leadership. I'll make a couple of points here just to begin with. Um, One of these is a statement that came from Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan, Um, quite a person in his day, quite an influencer. He uh, made a comment. Here it is, the quote from Senator Moynihan. Everyone is entitled to their own point of view, their own perspective. But they are not entitled to their own facts. Now, this is one of those things that I think is key and critical for each of us leaders. We need to be very, very clear about truth. We're living in a very turbulent time. We're living in an age of misinformation, disinformation, and harsh but true, a time where lying is pervasive. So what do we as leaders do? How do you confront that? Well, I've talked about this some in previous podcasts. Certainly one of those things is we're not trying to start a fight. You know, we're really and truly not. But a leader must be guided by principles that are founded and grounded in truth. Everyone can have their own perspective, but they cannot, and you must not allow them to have their own facts. Simply stated, facts are facts. It's just that simple. So if someone is trying to advance this idea of inaccuracy, of mis information, of disinformation, or lying, it is the leader's role. It is their responsibility to stand up, to be principled, to be truthful. You may not like it or not, but facts are key and critical for leaders. And any time someone strays from that, it is important. It is, I would argue, imperative for that leader to stand up. Well, today we're going to talk about some things that are largely advancing in our world that just simply are not true. Now, a lot of people associate this most recently with the administration of the former President Trump. Well, 
I'm going to make the case, I'm going to make the point that this began long, long ago. It has been coming for a long time. This idea of, in quotes, alternate facts. And that what people say just isn't true. But in fact, it is. And that's why this episode is called The Myth. What I'm going to do is uh, read an excerpt from an article that appeared recently, March the 3rd, in the Harvard Gazette. It's an excerpt from a book, a new book, by Naomi Oreskes and Eric Conway. And what they do is they provide a historical review of a myth. And this is a myth specific to business and economy. So it's sort of up our alley, if you will, on the leadership podcast here. But it is also an idea that has been pervasive throughout life. So, as I said, I'm going to read this article with my comments and thoughts as we go through it. Uh, I want to certainly give full attribution to the authors, again, Naomi Oreskes and Eric Conway. Their new book called The Big Myth, How American Business Taught Us to Loathe Government and to Love the Free Market. Well, that right there kind of gets you situated for what we're going to talk about here today. But it is a story about business and economy, but its implications for leadership are what I want to stress today. Let's begin the article. This is the story of how American business manufactured a myth. That's the nice way of saying what I said in the introduction, right? misinformation, disinformation, things that just simply aren't true, they manufactured a myth that has for decades and to our detriment held us in its grip. This excerpt is the true story of a false idea. The idea of, put this in quotes, the magic of the marketplace, end quote. And we'll come back to that as I read the article, this magic, which is to say, not the truth, a myth of the marketplace. Some people have called this market absolutism or market essentialism. In the 1990s, George Soros popularized the name that these authors have found most apt, market fundamentalism. Quasi, excuse me, a quasi-religious belief. Well, that in there tells you something about our current world, trying to use things like religion or patriotism to advance a position, a cause, an agenda. Because they're more successful aligning with those. But this quasi-religious belief that the best way to address our needs whether economic or otherwise, is to let markets do their own thing and not rely on 
government. Market fundamentalists treat, in quotes here, the market as a proper noun, something unique and unto itself that has agency, even wisdom, that functions best when left unfettered and unregulated. Well, we only have to go to the recent trail derailments uh, in the news as I bring you this podcast to uh, highlight the consequences of deregulation. Undisturbed and unperturbed. So these market fundamentalists would like you to believe that these markets, our markets, the markets, function best when left unfettered and unregulated. Government, according to the myth, cannot improve the functioning of markets. It can only interfere. And this is what people try to advance, try to appeal to you with. Governments, therefore, need to stay out of the way, lest they, in quotes again, distort the market and prevent it from doing its magic. Remember that magic of the marketplace. Classical liberal economists, including Adam Smith, recognized that government served essential functions, including things like building infrastructure for everyone's benefit and regulating banks, which, left to their own devices, could destroy our economy. They also recognized that taxation was required. Yes, taxation is required to enable governments to perform those functions. But in the early 20th century, a group of self-styled neoliberals shifted economic and political thinking radically. They argued that any government action in the marketplace, even well-intentioned, compromised the freedom of individuals to do as they pleased and therefore put us on the road to totalitarianism. Well, here's what happens. People want to use these big words, these almost fearful words to get you to think, wow, I need to make sure I get this one because I certainly don't want that. I don't want totalitarianism. Political and economic freedom were indivisible. This is the agenda that these folks try to advance, these market fundamentalists. That political and economic freedom are indivisible. And they insisted that any compromise to the latter was a threat to the former. Any compromise at all, even to address obvious ills like child labor or workplace safety. Why did we ever come to accept a worldview so impervious to facts? And that is really the leadership 
point of this podcast. If the view, in this case a worldview, that says we should be impervious to facts, and as a leader, and the real purpose of this podcast to do the right thing, we must not ever be impervious to facts. A worldview Smith himself, often thought of as the father of free market capitalism, would have rejected. So they use these terms, these, in quote here, myths, but they are expressed as facts, of concepts that the very founder of this idea would have rejected. How did so many Americans come to have so much faith in markets and so little faith in government? Well, market fundamentalism is not just the belief that free markets are the best means to run an economic system, but also the belief that they are the only means that will not ultimately destroy our freedoms. Wow. It is the belief in the primacy of economic freedom, not just to generate wealth, but as a bulwark of political freedom. And it is the belief that markets exist outside of politics and culture, so that it can be logical to speak of leaving them alone, that somehow these notions aren't part of our politic, our body politic, or our culture, this world we all live in and all share in. Pretty extraordinary. Well, let me turn to another person. Someone many of you know, I'm sure you've all read some of his work, Milton Friedman, America's most famous market fundamentalist. He went so far as to argue that voting was not democratic because it could too easily be distorted by special interests and because in any case, most voters were ignorant. Wow. There's a starting point for you. But rather than consider how special interests might be mitigated or how voters could be better informed, he maintained that true freedom was not expressed in the voting booth. The economic market provides a greater degree of freedom than the political market, Friedman said, he did this in South Africa in 1976, as he encouraged the citizens of that country not to fuss over apartheid, but to preserve and expand their market-based economy. Wow. Unfortunately, it's these kinds of seeds that have grown over time, and in our leadership journeys, we need to stand up against. Why? Because this idea that this market-based economy should be the be-all, end-all, our reason for being, and that something as 
serious and inappropriate as apartheid, we shouldn't have a fuss over. So Friedman's argument might work when we're talking about the freedom to buy, say, shoes. But it fails when we consider the larger picture, including deceptive advertising, aggressive and misleading PR campaigns, and what economists call, in quotes here, external costs. Costs that are invisible to or misunderstood by the shoe buyer, or that accrue to people who didn't buy those shoes at all. Let me give an example. Pollution is an external cost. You'll find this language is really important, that term, external cost. They want to sell it to you in this nice, clever way. It's external cost. Well, what happens when the shoe manufacturer dumps toxic chemicals behind the plant and hides that fact from the workers, the investors, and from the customers? Friedman downplayed the problems by saying it in this friendly label of neighborhood effects. Again, the clever language. Notice that. Neighborhood effects. And claimed that any remedy would almost always be worse than the disease because of the loss of freedoms or compromises to property rights typically associated with government regulation. So, you know, dumping toxic waste into the local stream, not so much a problem, but telling me I should not do that as a manufacturer of shoes, as the example uh, advances, wow, don't even think of doing that. In some cases, Friedman might have been right. Regulations do compromise someone's freedom. In order to protect the freedom and the welfare of others. When it comes to pollution, the, in quotes again here, freedom of factories to dump toxic waste has been rightly rejected. When it comes to climate change, the freedom of corporations to sell oil, gas, and coal, well, that jeopardizes all of us. This creates a fundamental dilemma for the fundamentalists. But rather than rethink their arguments, market fundamentalists protect their worldview by denying that climate change is real or asserting that somehow the market will fix it, despite all evidence to the contrary. And here we have the thesis that I brought up in the interjection. We can all have our own point of view. We can have our own perspective. But we are not entitled to our own facts. So this idea of misinformation, disinformation, and yes, lying, must be stood up against by leaders. This notion that climate change isn't real, or that somehow the market will just fix it. There is no evidence. There is no factual basis for these statements 
And it is our responsibility as leaders to stand up against such ideas. What Friedman said was that capitalism and freedom are two indivisible sides of the same coin. But this indivisibility thesis predates him by decades. In the early 20th century, it was promoted in the United States by a group of industrialists working under the umbrella of the National Association of Manufacturers, NAM. NAM and its allies use the thesis to argue against political reforms that today we take for granted, such as laws limiting child labor, establishing workers' compensation, creating the federal income tax. In the 1930s, they aligned themselves with the electricity industry and used the thesis to argue against the Rural Electrification Administration, the Tennessee Valley Authority, and other elements of the New Deal. Mostly they lost these fights, in part because the thesis suffered a fatal flaw. It was not true. Electricity was a case in point. Markets had failed to bring electricity to millions of Americans who wanted it. But the government had succeeded, and rural Americans were better off economically and no less free. Indeed, they were arguably freer than before, because now they had electrical appliances that reduced manual labor and electric lights to lengthen their usable working days. Because this indivisibility thesis had so little foundation in fact, American business leaders needed to find other ways to shore it up. Well, they began another propaganda campaign, attempting to advance ideas as facts which simply were not true. They were, in fact, myths. So, this has gone on for a long period of time. Certainly, Trump is a figure associated with this notion of misinformation, disinformation, and non-factual statements. But as I think we're making the case here, it predates him by several decades. So, think tanks have been developed. This debate has continued. Books have been written. Certainly Friedman's work, Capitalism and Freedom, his most famous work. You know, when we start to look at that and we find that it was financed and nurtured by American businessmen, well, there's a surprise. And it was the most public part of a much larger project. Well, Reader's Digest published an excerpt of it. It became what Ronald Reagan began to hang on to. So, what we want to do here in closing is to say that this work that began 
a long, long time ago, continues. This article that I read to you from directly, great article, and I want to give full credit um, to the authors. They make this case and abundantly clear that this idea of advancing an agenda through the use of misinformation and disinformation and lying is not new. People with great intellect, with great following, with great voice have used it for many, many decades. And today it is becoming more and more pervasive. The role of leadership, our responsibility as leaders, is to stand up and to say no. It can be something as simple as when someone advances one of these ideas to say, well, I'm on the other side of that one. Okay, You don't want to waver and say, well, there's two ways to look at that. You, know, you don't want to straddle that fence because facts are facts and that is the end of it. And as leaders, we must be clear about that. So don't try to straddle that fence. Don't try to appease both sides uh, of the argument that your group and their group, so to speak. You have to say, no, I'm on the other side of that one. Messaging is important. Voice is important. What leaders say is very important. And so we must be mindful. We must keep ourselves fully aware about what we're saying and why we are saying what we are saying. Okay, so a little bit of an idea here about misinformation, disinformation, people trying to advance myths. I make the point that it's not new. Certainly in the, uh, the work I've cited and the excerpt that I've read uh, directly from, um, there's a long history of people, particularly in business and economics, trying to make the case to advance their interests by advancing their ideology, an ideology which oftentimes may not be true. It may be a myth. And so we have to stand up to myths and say they are just that, myths. And we need to stand up for the truth. We need to stand up for facts. That is what leaders do. And that is why I wanted to bring this episode of the Dr. John Bedker Leadership Podcast to you. Thank you all so much. Hope you have a great day. We'll talk again soon. Thank you for tuning in to Dr. John Bedker's Leadership Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please tell your friends and, of course, please follow our podcast and subscribe. Thank you again for tuning in.